0: Um, we will actually read Exodus 21 verses 33, verse 33 uh, down through verse 15 of Exodus 22, uh, if you're able, let's stand as we read God's word together. Um, when a man opens a pit or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner and the dead beast shall be his when one man's ox butts another so that it dies then they shall sell the live ox share its price and the dead beast they also shall share for it is if it is or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has not kept it in he shall repay, repay ox for ox and the dead beast shall be his if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, Whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If a fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it's stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God and show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or any kind of lost thing, of which one says, this is it the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. For if it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me? Uh, we pray, o Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in this uh, word that you inspired uh, to be written ages and ages ago, that you have preserved for us, that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and cuts us to our hearts. Would you use it to operate on us, to make us more and more like Christ? For it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, We're still in that that section of Exodus, just to kind of catch you up. Make sure you remember uh, where we are. Uh, That section of Exodus that uh, really is is the the book of the covenant. It's a series of case laws. It's a series of... um, So I've given the Ten Commandments. How do these Ten Commandments then apply in the day-to-day life of Israel. We're in this section of Exodus that when you're doing your annual Bible reading sort of plan, you kind of thumb through and go, huh, I don't have an ox. I don't have a goat. I don't have a sheep. I don't have a donkey. And so you keep turning. Um, but the reality is uh, this passage uh, deals Uh, Not so much with oxen and sheep and donkeys and stuff, but with our personal property. Uh, Last week, uh, we saw the laws uh, pertaining to um, personal injury laws. And so this week, uh, what about our stuff? Or perhaps a better question, what about my rights or responsibilities, not so much to my stuff, but to your stuff? Uh, What's my attitude towards your stuff? And so this section deals with um, personal property laws as opposed to the personal injury laws of the previous passage. And there's really three things uh, that this passage teaches us. First, um, and, and this may not be a huge issue in Athens, Alabama in 2022, but it's still worth noting. It's still worth uh, being aware of. First of all, this passage actually teaches such a thing as personal property. You know, there's a a movement in some places, some of it political, some of it grounded actually in Scripture. There are people who will make arguments that the reality is the Bible teaches we should be socialists or we should be communists, And we're going to look at those passages in just a second. Um, uh, we shouldn't deal with personal property issues, but notice, look at verse 35 of chapter 21, when one man's ox butts another, in other words, there's one ox that belongs to somebody and there's another ox that belongs to somebody else. Or look at verse five of 22. If a man causes a field to be grazed over and let, um, or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field. So there, there's a, an animal that belongs to one person, and there's property, land, that belongs to someone else. Right, verse 14, if you borrow anything, that belongs to your neighbor. It, it, you and I, I think perhaps in, in living in the U.S. in the 21st century, don't really think much about this. It doesn't really come up very often, but there are people who will contend that that Scripture says we should not have our own personal property, that we should have everything in common, that the Bible teaches some form of socialism or communism. Let me show you this, because I think it's important at least that you see the passage. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Just to sort of see where um, some of this argument comes from. In Acts chapter 2... and, and you know, Acts 2. In fact, I think we were, were we there last Sunday, maybe in Sunday school? Um, I feel like recently we were just in Acts 2. Um, but you know, I mean, Peter preaches, day of Pentecost, conversions, 3,000 souls added, verse 42, and they devoted, they, the, the new converts, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And so there's this argument that, well, if, if they had everything in common, then that means that nobody actually owned anything, that it really all belonged to everybody. Like we just all shared it all, like one big giant church commune. But look at verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So while it does say, yes, they had all things in common, it also says that they were selling things that belonged to them. And then we see this picture later where people are selling things and bringing it to the church and letting the church distribute as uh, as needed within the congregation. And so even in Acts 2, though it uses the language of all things in common, it still reflects the idea that they owned personal property so that they could sell it and give it to those who were in need. But isn't that part of the picture? Isn't that part of the the aim of the gospel? To, To say to us that converts care more about each other than about their stuff. I mean, these are new believers who looked around the room and thought that person needs something. And I've got some stuff that I can sell some stuff that I don't really care about this stuff because this is just stuff. And that's a person who bears God's image, who is my brother or sister in Christ. And I would rather go without my stuff so that they can be cared for. And so it's this picture of these brand spanking new converts whose hearts were so changed that they immediately looked away from their things to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And for that matter, they didn't sell everything. They sold some things. They didn't completely sell it all so that they could all live in a commune. In other words, Acts 2 Exodus 21, 22, they all teach this idea of such a thing as personal property. Which makes you feel for John Lennon a little bit, doesn't it? You know, his song, Imagine. In, in, his, in Imagine, he, he's convinced that there are really only three things wrong with the entire world. And if we eliminated these three things, there would be no war, no strife, no conflict, and everybody would get along. You know what those three things are? Religion. Uh, national borders possessions. Next time you listen to the song, listen through as he blames every war, every conflict is grounded in one of those three things. And so if we just didn't have them, then there would be no conflict, there would be no war, and he misses the issue, is really not the stuff, it's our hearts. It's not really the national border, it's our heart. It's not really Religion or our possessions, it's our sinful condition. For that matter, our our passage uses this phrase of restitution or restoration over and over again. But if everybody has everything in common, if everybody owns everything mutually or commonly, there's no one to pay for these dead animals. Where does the who do I, to whom am I going to make restitution if nobody owns anything or if everybody owns everything? Depending on how you... Look at it. And so, perhaps not central or vital or the primary aim of this passage. It does at least teach uh, the reality of our right to personal property. But there's a second thing this passage shows us. And that's our responsibility to other people's property. We have our right to our own property, but we also have a responsibility to other people's property. And there's really sort of three categories, um, three ways we might cause damage or hurt or injury or loss to our neighbor. The first is carelessness. Look at verse 33 of chapter 21. A man opens a pit, or digs a pit. And he doesn't cover it up, and someone else's animal falls into it. And so the owner of the pit is responsible for that animal. And you're thinking to yourself, dig a pit. Like, why does one just decide to dig a pit? I mean, have you ever just like, randomly, you know, this would be kind of fun to just dig a big old giant hole in the ground right here. For no reason. Well, you you do realize you have advantages that they didn't have. Um, You have Athens' utilities, and and they take care of your water and sewer needs. Uh, They didn't have that, and so sometimes a pit was dug to 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 collect water. Sometimes to. Um, as a sort of latrine was all kinds of reasons why they would dig pits but they also were responsible to cover it to protect it to make sure that other people wouldn't in. this is why you have a fence around your pool if you have a pool you're required by law to put a fence around it why because of these very passages because of This, it's a care and protection for someone else. And so you dig a pit for whatever reason and um, somebody, an animal or a person or somebody falls into it and is injured. Then there's a this requirement that you cover up this pit to protect the livestock and possessions of other people. Or for that matter, verses five and six of of 22. In one case, uh, a man is is careless Uh, negligent in watching his animals and his animals actually end up in someone else's yard and eating the grass, the grain, the, the, from the vine, whatever in that yard. Or in verse six, uh, a fire gets out of control and, and you've got this stacked grain that's drying for, Uh, Food for later or stacked sort of brush that's sort of a a land boundary. And it consumes that and continues on to consume other people's property. The fire one we get. The animal grazing one. We sort of think that's, that's not really that big a deal. Like that's not a huge deal to us. And notice... Um, I'm putting this in the category of negligence because I'm I'm treating it that way. It is possible, however, verse 5, which comes right on the heels of a passage on theft, it's possible that that the writer intends us to see or that God intends us to see that our animal feeding on our neighbor's grain is actually us stealing our neighbor's grain. That there's a connection there. There's no clear fence or boundary to keep their animals in their own yard and from feeding on the grain next door. But that's really the aim of the Eighth Commandment. Not only does the Eighth Commandment tell me to get stuff legally and morally, but also to do everything I can to protect your stuff, having been gotten legally and morally not to do anything at all to hinder your ability to gain your wealth through lawful and moral means. I'm, I'm pretty sure, um, a lot of y'all knew Jasper, our yellow lab who passed away in August, September. Um, still every now and then you kind of talk about your, you know, 13 year old pet, uh, who's grown up with your kids and you would do, it um, He stole, he would literally go pick cherry tomatoes off of our tomato plant and eat them. He he didn't, it wasn't always the ones on the ground. He would actually, and I'm not sure he didn't teach Bingley to do this. We're going to see this summer whether Bingley remembers the old habits he he picked up from his older brother. It's one thing for him to go and, and eat cherry tomatoes off of, Our own, his own tomato plant. But if he goes eating the tomatoes off of my next door neighbor's garden, then I owe my next door neighbor some sort of restoration, restitution. He's stealing from my neighbor's salad that night. He's robbing my neighbor of his food. And so the first is carelessness, being careful with our work or with our pets, our animals, whatever, to guard against them wandering into a neighbor's yard and taking um, their food. That's carelessness or negligence on our part. The second sort of category um, is theft. And, and you see that so clearly in verses 1 through 4. A man steals an ox or a sheep, uh, kills it, sells it. He has to repay five for one. If it's a sheep, it's four to one. Uh, now, you do realize Thomas Edison hadn't in, lived yet. There, there were no light bulbs. There was The only artificial light you had was a, a fire. And so if someone were to break into your house in the middle of the night, and it's pitch black dark, and you in unsure whether they have a weapon or not, whether they're there to cause you damage or whether they're just there to steal a loaf of bread and get back out the door. You you don't know what they're in the house for and you can barely make out who it is. And so there's this provision that if, verse 2, if you kill that thief, then you're not held responsible for his death. Your blood guilt isn't on him. There is no restitution or payment for that because you have no way of knowing anything what he's why he's there that's why if the sun comes up not on the dead body if the sun is up on the thief and there's daylight the laws change because now you can see and interact and be much more aware and careful So self defense in the darkness was one thing, verse two, but but self defense in daylight changes the playing field in verse three. And there's different caveats surrounding an explanation of, of punishment for theft. That even you know that's what sort of wrapped that story of your responsibility as the homeowner is wrapped inside of this uh, account of the fact is he's coming to steal. There's someone there taking your things, and so someone stealing an ox owes five for one. Someone stealing a sheep owes four to one. But even verse four, notice. You catch him red-handed. He's actually got the animal in his possession. It's not enough to simply give back the animal. Even then, he pays double. So the aim then is to remind or to warn would-be thieves that crime actually doesn't pay. That it could actually cost you twice as much as you think you're going to walk away with. The thief needs to learn to steal no longer and instead to work and provide for others, which is exactly what Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 28. So you've got a category of of negligence, of carelessness. You've got a a category of theft. And then you've also got a category of borrowing or safekeeping. You know, um, I'm not sure... There's a greater storage unit per capita in all the United States as we have here. They didn't have pods, they didn't have storage units, they didn't have places they could keep their stuff. They didn't have they couldn't run down to the bank and and rent a safe deposit box. If you're going to be gone for a time and you've got a a critter or Something of value that you need protected, you need kept safe while you're gone. Frequently, you would entrust that to a neighbor, to a, a relative, someone close that you trusted and knew. And so, there are these accounts in verses 7 to 15 of people who are either loaning things or borrowing things, or either loaning it to them to use, or you're, you're giving it to them for safekeeping. And of course sometimes <clears throat> when you let your neighbor keep your stuff sometimes it got stolen. Sometimes it got stolen. You with the air quotes. See I got I, you have to say with the air quotes for the recording cuz then they can't see me doing this. No no it was it was stolen. I can't find it anywhere. No idea where it is. Somebody must have taken it. And so there's this conflict then between Do they have it? Do they not have it? And of course, then, you know, the next day you're walking down the street and you see him wearing the very cloak you loaned him that he said was stolen. And you're pretty sure that that's not stolen, that he stole it, that he was the one guilty. And so there are laws surrounding how to handle, how to deal with those different situations. And in verse 9, they go before God, which really is is worked through the the elders at the city gates. All those times when you read through the Old Testament and the elders are seated at the city gates. Those are the, the leaders, the rulers, the lawmakers of the city who will adjudicate this case. If you um, loaned, verse 14, if you loaned your neighbor, your animal, uh, to use it and he died while he used it, then he is to make restitution. If, however, he paid you to come over and do the work with your animal and your animal died, he's not guilty because you were there. And for that matter, you were paid for your services. Now, you're thinking, okay, nobody's ever called to ask to borrow my ox. But I can guarantee you people have borrowed your trailer or your lawnmower and then it breaks or something happens to it while you have it, while you're using it, while you're borrowing it. That's the, the modern day equivalent, the modern day connection between, um, 21st century and this passage. If you borrow your neighbor's lawnmower and you break it while you have it, then you should make restitution. Make sure it's in working order and provide uh, for your neighbor's lawn while his mower is being fixed. All of that is bound up in this passage. Our passage shows us our right to personal property. It also shows us our responsibility to the personal property of others. And then lastly, it shows us uh, what to do when we lose or damage someone else's property. And we're not going to get bogged down in all the specific Uh, Details of this situation, do this, this situation, do that. But I want you to notice something. In verse 1, an ox is repaid 5 to 1, a sheep is repaid 4 to 1, and everything else is repaid 2 to 1. But notice, look at verses 5 and 6. There's a word that gets repeated. It's in verse five. He shall make restitution from the best in his own field. Verse six. um, He's who started the fire shall make full restitution. Look down in verse 11. And then every verse from 11 to 15. um, An oath by the Lord Uh, put his hand on his neighbor's property, the owner shall accept the oath and he shall not make restitution. If it's stolen from him, he shall make restitution. Um, Verse 13, uh, let him bring evidence, he shall not make restitution. Verse 14, shall make full restitution. Verse 15, shall not make... So the whole passage is about restitution. About making sure that if I cause damage or loss to you through your property then I owe you to make sure everything's right it's my job to fix what has been what I have damaged whether through my negligence whether through straight up theft or um, just accident for that matter while it was in my care And so this passage points us to the fact that we're called to care about you, about people, more than we care about our own stuff. And we care about people even through their stuff. Because did you notice even the thief, if the thief is caught with the animal, he still pays double. It's it's. Crime doesn't pay. It's crime actually should hurt. It should cost the thief something for their criminal activity. And if he couldn't pay it back, then he's sold as a slave and he works as a slave to pay it off. But even then, no more than six years. That was a couple of passages ago, a couple of contexts ago. These laws put people before stuff. Yes, there are laws about what to do with stuff, but that's because the stuff ultimately belongs to a person, to a fellow image bearer of God. And so the question is, what do I do for these people? It puts people before stuff. But let me ask you this. Which people? Because I want you to be careful. I want you to think about exactly which people it puts before stuff. Because it would have been common enough in, I mean, you can see this in history. You can, you can go back and read the other pagan religions around Israel in this day. They favored the wealthy and the important. The laws always favored the people who made them. Who had the power, the authority, the wealth, the position to make the law. This passage actually cares both for the owner and for the guilty party, for lack of a better word. These laws make sure that, yes, restitution happens, but there's not undue or inordinate punishment on the one who commits the crime. This is is how we work, right? Just listen to kids fight. You broke my toy, I'm going to beat you up. Like that makes perfect sense in our minds, right? You broke my toy, therefore I get to beat the fool out of you. But this passage, no, hold on. The punishment still fits the crime. The punishment should be appropriate to what is broken. And so these laws, these laws make sure That the criminal pays, but he doesn't pay more than he has to. He doesn't pay an inordinate, extraordinary uh, fee or sum, or for that matter, even with his life. He makes restitution, but not more than restitution. Not less than, that's for the property owner who who has had some sort of loss to his property. Not more than, that's for the person who caused the damage to begin with in other words God's not on either side God cares for the wealthy and he cares for the poor he's on the he's not on the side of the wealthy to the exclusion of the poor which flies in the face of the pagan religions around Israel uh, at this time but he's not so on the side of the poor that the that those who have property, or on the side of the criminal, that those who have property just have to deal with it. The real aim in all of these laws is our desire for our fellow man's good. Let me me make a couple of applications. One of them, um, by turning to Luke chapter 19. Let me remind you of a story you know and you know well. At the beginning of Luke 19, we get the most famous short person in the history of mankind. Zacchaeus, wee little man, right? And when you're a kid, you sing the Zacchaeus song, he was a wee little man. Like you picture literally like Flat Stanley is taller than Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Which means that he is ridiculously wealthy. And he is so ill, well, illegally and immorally. The practice of tax collectors was to show up at your door, knock on the door. You'd answer the door and they would say, hey, look, I'm here on behalf of the Roman government. Yes, I might be an Israelite. I might be Jewish, but I'm still working for the Roman government. Red flag number one. You owe the government 50 bucks. Piece of paper actually says 35 bucks. But you're going to tell him 50 bucks, and you're going to make sure the government gets their 35 bucks, and you are going to pocket the extra 15. That's how Zacchaeus made his money. That's how he became as wealthy as he would become. But notice what happens. Um, Jesus passes along. He has to climb up in the tree because he's only this tall, and he needs to see him. Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I'm going to stay at your house. Notice after this meeting with Jesus, Zacchaeus stood, verse eight, and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I'm giving to the poor. And if and and what he really means is I have defrauded Um, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Now, I hope that number sounds echoes in your head. That's more than the law required. The law required double. He's going to double that. He's going to do more than the law would require. You see, here's the picture. The gospel changes us. Zacchaeus, who had great wealth and had become accustomed to this lavish lifestyle, I'm sure, was willing to say, I'm going to do... Not just sort of the This is what we do. We, we, we go, all right, what does the law say? Know, now hold on. It comes out to a half a cent. Can I round down? Can we, if, I could, if I could round down for the half cent. How, how third grade math do we want to be? Well, if we're going to round to an odd number, we'll round to the even number, which means sometimes it's up and sometimes it's down. It's, it's, there's the bar. Let me kind of scrape it as I clear it. Zacchaeus said, who needs a bar? I don't care about a bar. I've wronged people. And it's my job to love people, not my stuff. So that I'm going to pay them double the double that I'm required by the law. Why? Because that's what the gospel does to people. Because the gospel changes people. And so we as Christians should model this kind of restitution for damage or loss to other's people, other people's property, not because of the property, but because of the people. A second application, and I'm just going to fire the shot across the bow and let it land at that. This probably has something to say to our American penal system. Imagine the money that the state could save. This is super practically, right? Imagine the money the state could save if we didn't have a prison system. If instead, criminals were required to pay back double. As it is now, they never have to face the person they robbed. They deal with the state. They don't have to deal with the other person. Imagine we treated them humanely enough to treat them as people who now owe someone double what they stole. It would probably deter crime. It would affect the way our criminal system works. It's a better deterrent to theft. It's more humane towards the thief. It's better relationally, and it would save the state a bunch of money. Because here's the thing. What Zacchaeus shows us is that prison doesn't change hearts. Jesus does. The gospel does. That's what the world needs. The world needs a a better understanding and a a better relationship with each other so that we would care more about you, and I'm going to care about you through your stuff and how I treat your stuff and, and my responsibilities to you through your stuff so that, for that matter, my stuff means nothing compared to you. There's no other way to get that apart from the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes hearts. And only Jesus can cause us to love him, to love others. And the reality is Jesus died for thieves. Just ask the guy over his left shoulder. Just ask the guy on the cross next to him. A thief who was in heaven that very day. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, long for a world in which Jesus uh, will reign um, perfectly, finally, completely from shore to shore in our hearts, in our lives, that we would reflect that rule and reign, that we would care for others more than we care about even our own stuff. And that we would love our neighbor even through their stuff. Father, would you change our hearts so that we would have people at the forefront of our minds. uh, Not our goods, not their goods, but others. Uh, Cause us to uh, have the eyes and mind of Christ that look to the needs of others and cares for them. And our hearts go out to them that we might love and serve them well. We pray all of this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.